It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. It's basketball time in the queue. It's over! It's over! The 52 year drought is over! The Cavaliers have won the NBA Championship! Cleveland! This is for you! Mitchell goes to the basket and buries Cornette! Garland high steps over the timeline, stumps on a dime, hits the three! Darius Garland has been unreal here in the fourth quarter. Jack clock down to five. Lillard blocked by Mobley. The shoot around. Welcome back to the club. Since we last dropped an episode, the Cavs went on a road trip and won three out of four, winning some impressive games against the Heat and Hornets to start out. They followed with a heartbreaker of a loss to the 76ers, mainly due to some rather BS officiating, which is a big shocker, I know. Bouncing back with a win against the Wizards and another road win against the Nets, this time with Okuro hitting a game winner in the waning seconds. Tonight they've managed to beat the Rockets with a score of 108-91. to Colin, as you recall, I thought the team could win 3 of 4 on their road trip, and I guess you should be taking my advice on DraftKings from now on, huh? No. In all seriousness, the schedule has looked pretty good to end the year. No clairvoyance needed. Um, I'm pretty sure I agreed with you with that prediction, so we both can now predict the future. And I'm predicting that the team will win at least 50 games since they have now clinched a playoff berth for the first time since 2018 with this win against the Rockets. This team is working hard to end on a high note, and moving out of LeBron's shadow definitely helps the franchise. Please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or follow us on the podcast player of your choice. Also, be sure to visit our new home, the Basketball Podcast Network. We are also adding extra content to our YouTube channel, so please subscribe. And please be sure to leave a comment. We'd love for you to engage with the pod. Karis LeVert is finally hitting his stride, coming off the bench and truly adding something of value to the team. Since around the Miami games, he's averaging about 16 points, 3.9 assists, and hitting over 47% from three. What's been the biggest difference in his game and the way the team has been using him overall? For me, I'm seeing that Karras is actually comfortable on the floor with the rest of the team on offense. I think there were times earlier in the season when he was trying to do too much or just wasn't gelling with what was happening on the floor. And then I also think he's been even more active on defense in this game tonight against the Rockets, we saw him going against Green, who is the Rockets' best offensive player by far. And Karras did a great job of staying in front of him and dealing with that assignment. So it seems that he just is more locked in. It's a cliche, but it's it's true. He just seems to be more present is what I would take from his, his play right now. What are you seeing? I agree. I, I think he appears to be more comfortable out there playing the role that they're having him him take on. Now, I don't know mm. if it's changed all that much as far as the role is concerned, <laughs> but it seems like he's finally easing into it. Now, also, you know, just looking at the stats over the last 5 games alone, he's averaged, you know, between like the lowest is 
10 points and the highest is 24 points. So, um, you know, but a lot of that is on maybe nine or 10 buckets that that's all mm. he's really attempting. So he's being extremely efficient. He's shooting extremely well from three and he's being that sixth man that I know we envisioned that he could possibly be when he joined the team last year. So now that we're seeing that from him, I know that I've been kind of gleefully waiting to proclaim um, mm-hmm. in, in this episode that uh, I think if Karras can maintain this level of play, we have a real shot at going to the finals. Mm-hmm. So that's we, we always needed somebody to have this kind of efficiency coming off the bench consistently every night. And if he's going to provide it, then the, if the other guys can continue to do what they've been doing all season, then this is good. This is huge. For sure. The team is now officially in the playoffs with six games left, and it looks like things are solidifying, with the Cavaliers more than likely staying at the number four seed. If this stays true, who is a tougher opponent? The Knicks, Nets, or, on the off chance, the Heat? And are you truly worried the Cavs could lose to one of them in a best-of-seven series? I don't think the Cavs should be scared of any of these teams. I think that the Knicks and the Nets and the Heat are all really good teams, but they also are all flawed in some pretty big ways. I think the Nets are probably the weakest of those three because of the fact that Half their team has been traded. Their leadership uh, when it comes to the players is just completely shot. The the guys on the Nets right now are all really, they're all really solid players. And some of them even more than solid all-star level players. But the organization is just going through a you-know-what storm because of Kyrie and, and KD just depleting all of all of their their future thought process of, of playoff prowess. And the Knicks are interesting. They might scare me the most because I think that in New York, they would be really terrifying because I don't think the Cavs would get the benefit of the doubt in a lot of their play in the sense of, I think there would definitely be more of a, a home court whistle for the Knicks in that series and that would be tough because the biggest issue in moving into the heat a little bit here the biggest issue the Cavs I think have is their youth and I could see with the Knicks or the Heat that their the Cavs youth really kind of gets flustered or out of sorts with those teams because of their style of play and how they kind of try to dictate the game and and use their veteran savviness to get buckets and and draw fouls. That being said, I think that the Cavaliers overall are more talented than all three of these teams. So on paper, they should be able to beat any of them in a best of of seven series. And that's kind of where my head is at. Is there anyone that you're more scared of? Or I saw you kind of nodding your head a little bit. Are you thinking in the opposite direction? I was just trying to throw you off. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, no yes, I, I think overall, looking at those three teams specifically, which is what the question asks, 
Um, I would worry about the Knicks the most simply because of their road record. Mm-hmm. They're 22 and 16 on the road, which makes them a team that really should be above us. Mm-hmm. When looking at kind of the road record of the rest of the East, a lot of these teams do a much better job mm-hmm. um, playing away from home. And we clearly have struggled the most for, for us being a consistent top five team all year long. We're not, we're not confident away from our hard court. So that being said, um, I'm very happy that we've clinched some home court advantage here. And obviously the Cavs know that they need that to have any Mm -hmm. kind of success uh, moving forward for this season. And with the Knicks, they would be the largest or the, the biggest challenge compared comparatively um the heat i think are struggling to a degree that i wouldn't worry about playing them in a best of seven and as you stated the nets have kind of imploded and and we're just kind of witnessing them fall off the cliff you know this is Mm. this is cliffhanger and and he's like you know she's falling uh so (laughs) um i think that Ultimately, I'm not really concerned about any team in the East beating us in a best-of-seven series until we are in the Eastern Conference Mm -hmm. Finals. Uh, Once we're there, I think that the pressure of the moment and the stage overall, especially because we're not going to have home court going into it, I think that's probably going to be where we we stop this season. But uh, we could certainly fall short before that. But right now... um, the Knicks, I think, would be the the first team that could possibly crush our dreams. So I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't want to see them. No, I don't think anyone wants to see it. And I think that the Eastern Conference is really tough. And I I do agree with you. Going further down the road of the Eastern Conference, that's where I would be truly just scared from a talent level of through and through these are all savvier teams in the sense of they've been there before like the the bucks and the uh the sixers and even boston so i think that the Cavs they have so much potential and they they know who they are and and what they want to do but they just haven't been to the playoffs as i mentioned at the top since 2018 and they are an extremely young team. And you just see that every year. The, the younger squads sometimes, not every time, but, but sometimes can just kind of get flustered and flounder. So that, that I'm, I'm hopeful that it's not going to happen. But kind of what you mentioned, I wouldn't expect that to happen until further down the road in the playoffs. And I just have to make one caveat to our point, which is that the Knicks do have a worse home record than road record, which is pretty rare, you know, and um, kind of par for the course for being a Knicks fan. Yeah. However, yeah. Uh, also, I think that uh, another key element is Donovan Mitchell. Now, of mm-hmm. course, you say, right? But yeah, yeah. simply because the the team that seemed to be the most um, possible for him to be traded to was the Knicks and mm-hmm. most of the games this season that we've seen him play against them he's kind of come out to prove a point so yeah. I would think that he'd prove a point for the whole series but maybe, maybe that would be would fun. agree with that definitely would agree with that yeah that Okoro game winner against the Nets was awesome 
how important do you think that shot was for him and for the team? And do you think they will use him more in these kinds of key situations? First of all, I thought it was huge for Isaac Okoro because we all know that he's been working probably the most at his shot since entering the league out of just about any other skill he's tried to perfect. Mm -hmm. And they even had an article that came out and tried to pump him up at the beginning of the year that he was going to be a much better shooter from the outside and somebody they could consist consistently call upon for a shot like that. And um, I... The shot kind of brought me a little bit to tears, I'll admit, mm -hmm. because yeah. um, I couldn't stop thinking about how difficult it's been for Isaac mm -hmm. and how he hasn't given up on himself and the team hasn't given up on him either. And he's still a very young man that has an enormous amount of potential. And you and I have talked him up a ton on our podcast, and I think we'll continue to do that. So it was huge for Isaac. It was also huge for the team. Because they need to see that their investment is going to pay off. And they obviously want the best for Isaac, but they also want the best for themselves. And they're going to be a much better team with Isaac Okoro making those kinds of shots. And not only making those kinds of shots, but having the kind of basketball IQ to find himself in the corner open mm -hmm. for that shot in the first place. Because I did go back and watch the, a replay of it many, many times because mm -hmm. I wasn't able to see it live. <laughs> Watching um, it now. <laughs> yeah. First, I had to see it a few times just to witness a man miss three shots in a row. <laughs> it's pretty insane that Mitchell could throw up three shots and miss yeah. them all. And I'm sure he's laughing a little bit, laughing mm -hmm. uh, to himself about that, especially in retrospect um, of how the game turned out. And then the fact that the ball actually squirted out and got to the corner, LeBert was able to pick it up. It was a, to my mind, it was a perfect representation of how these guys practice and practice and practice and practice for a moment like that. Because mm -hmm. I watched I watched them just run a play without saying a word, mm -hmm. and they all got into their positions, and Levert threw it exactly to the person he was supposed to. And Akuro took a big swing <laughs> where mm -hmm. he was. Mm -hmm. All the way around, just like, don't mind me, I'm not <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Like, like, just, like a stroll through the park. Yeah, yeah, just like, oh, I don't care if I'm, I'm not somebody important. You know, just kind of just moseying on over to that corner. And then it was just beautiful how the minute he got there, Allen was there for the, the screen. Mm -hmm. Levert made the pass and beautiful shot. So, yeah, yeah it was uh, it was what Cavs fans have been hoping for from Isaac for a while. It wasn't the prettiest uh, release or, or anything like that, but it went down, and uh, and it was just beautiful to see. And I would just say, um, as far as w would they be using him more in these kinds of key situations, yes, simply because he's proven that he can be relied upon. Anytime mm -hmm. in a big moment like that you make a shot, people now are going to believe you're going to make the next one or that you have a better shot of, of making it. And I think even Isaac is going to go out there with a little more uh, belief in himself moving forward. Yeah, I think the best thing about that was just his confidence. You and I mentioned everything that you know Isaac has gone through and, and what we've talked about with him. And, and I remember it was probably, 
I forget, it was early on in the season, and you really just talked about confidence more than anything. You talked about how he need, he was clearly working on his shooting form, which is great, but the number one thing you brought up was confidence. And I was confident that bat, that ball was going in that basket when he shot it. Yeah, his his shot is a little bit different, but I think I could tell that he had enough arc on it and that he was confident that he could make the basket. And that was the thing that I was really impressed by was it wasn't it, it was everything that what you mentioned. But then on top of that, it's Isaac just being like, yep, I'm here. I know what to do. And I'm going to win this game right now. This is what I'm here for. And it was just an awesome sequence. And we talked about Levert at the top of the episode the fact that you have Levert passing to Okoro, two guys who on other teams might not get along super well because they're constantly playing for the same position or the same amount of minutes, but all of these players really do trust each other. And I even, I kind of had flashbacks back to the infamous J.R. Smith rebound debacle because, <laughs> you know, everybody was freaking out on the Cavs when Donovan Mitchell missed that rebound and the fact that he missed two more again and you kind of as a Cavs fan you have that like stress PTSD of like oh cool Levert's gonna dribble it out of bounds or some crazy thing but really it was tied to the trust of all of these players and what they have with each other because Levert didn't panic it's just like what you mentioned they ran a play and he found the open man that's exactly what you're told to do i'm not a basketball savant but i've listened to enough announcers say you find the open man and that's what he did it was just pure chef's kiss awesome play i'm so happy for the team and mainly isaac because he should get more chances now and i think we'll get a little more freedom from jb just to let him kind of do his hit thing the last thing I want to mention, remember, Isaac is only 21 years old. He's been in the league one more year than Evan Mobley, but he's the same age. So that's what is also awesome about this is it's you have two 21-year-olds out on the floor and they hit a game winner to you know send the Nets back into their locker room. Yeah, unreal. The final seconds. Steve Ashbrenner of NBA.com currently has Brooke Lopez and Jaron Jackson Jr. ahead of Evan Mobley for Defensive Player of the Year odds. Mobley has had a late surge in this discussion. Do you think he deserves it this year? If not now, when? It's great that he's surging late. I think that Evan Mobley is the type of player that you and I expect are going to be talking about for years to come when it comes to the defensive player of the year position he's a very impressive guy when it comes to blocking and his defensive rebounds his positioning under the basket I think that uh, he was made for this conversation as far as it being the his year that's tough because he's not at the top of these stats and uh, frankly I think that he's got a long way to go for what he can show us is his ceiling and right now, even someone like Allen at times is, is is at least equaling his play out there. 
uh, especially tonight against the Rockets. We saw some huge blocks against Allen. And I know blocks are not the only thing that matters when it comes to defense, but man, are they fun to watch. <laughs> so, um, Evan Mobley is a once-in-a-generation kind of player. We really expect him to be the kind of force that can change the direction of our organization for 10-plus years to come. In the same way that LeBron James left his mark on this organization, we really expect that Mobley will do the same. So if not this year, I think uh, future years, we're definitely going to see it. Because this kid has the heart and the drive and the skills and the ability to get there. So good job, Evan. And it's such an exciting thing to have you on this team and to have you paired up with Allen every night. It's, uh, it's one of the big reasons why we expect that this team has a shot to win it all this year and for years to come. Cleveland.com's Chris Fedor reported a few weeks ago that Kevin Love's heart is broken. Shattered, actually. Feeling like he could still play and wanting desperately to play with his guys, Love decided to ask for a trade and now proclaims the Cavs unofficially retired him by giving all of his minutes to Dean Wayne. Speaking of lost communication between him and the staff, it's a really puzzling article. Thoughts? When we heard the news about Kevin Love getting bought out, I think you and I were both surprised but not surprised because Kevin Love's tenure has been so up and down. It's been so wishy-washy in respect to what he's actually thinking, what he's actually feeling. We know that he's a huge mental health advocate, and I think that... This article comes across as someone who is still clearly working through his feelings, which is great, and his thoughts and ideas on what he wants to do for the rest of his career and how he wants to finish his career. And I think that really he probably has some people around him, or he himself, which again is completely legitimate, that has his ego in mind and how he wants to be, how he wants to go out in respect to his career and I think the Cavs were not really giving that to him and I think that he did what he needed to do to actually dictate that and I am a person who is really pro players and letting them get as much money as they want and having them have the ability to do what they need to actually get out of really bad sticky situations because we've seen that a lot in all sports at the same time i think the Cavs still would have given him a shot at some point to get some solid minutes but he was not playing well dean wade was playing a little bit better but dean wade currently is still not playing much and i think that the Cavs organization probably communicated enough to him they don't need to communicate everything to him and I think love just felt like you know what now's my chance to move forward and dictate more of what is happening with my career instead of maybe floundering a little bit because I'm not playing that well and that's as you and I mentioned when all of this went down that is so Kevin Love in all regards that I am really happy for the career that he's had with the Cavaliers and 
I think that I, you know, if I had the ability to, I would probably go to his retirement, you know, his jersey retirement, his number retirement, because he was still a guy that did a lot for the organization and the city and the the whole NBA community. So I still respect a lot of what he is and who he is, but I think he maybe should not have done this interview and just let his communications folks handle stuff until maybe till after the season was over. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club podcast. Let's go Cavs.